George's Bank scallops are now at Bonefish Grill. The George's Bank off the coast of New England is known for its amazing sea scallops, and Bonefish prepares them just right. Grilled to perfection over a wood fire and served atop creamy Parmesan risotto. And start the night off with our new handcrafted happy hour every day from 4 to 6.30. Enjoy signature cocktails like our tropical tiki martini for just $5, and new bar bites like ahi tuna poke are just $6. So come in tonight and discover what's new at Bonefish Grill. Welcome to Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to CrimeWire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at the CrimeWire, the new CrimeWire at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at the new CrimeWire. My name is Danny Griffin, and today Delilah Jones and I will be discussing the case of Teresa Corley of Bellingham, Mass. And on December 5th of 1978, the then 19-year-old Teresa was attending Holliston Junior College with the goal of eventually becoming a pediatrician. But on that night, there was only one thing on her mind, getting home. She never made it. And three days later, her body was found in a ditch on the side of Route 495. She had been strangled. The murder remains unsolved nearly 40 years later. Today we're going to discuss the case with Teresa's sister, Jerry Hood. Jerry, welcome to CrimeWire. Hi, good morning, Denny. Good morning, Delilah. Um, um, so, go ahead. I Let's begin with the events as you know them uh, regarding Teresa on the day of her death on December 5th of 1978. Well, she went out with a group of friends. Um, they were going to celebrate a birthday party of um, one of the girls from the next town over in Franklin. Um, so they, the party started off in an apartment, and they went over to a club or you know a place called the Train Stop. And it was a local local hangout for the teenagers that age. It was right near um, Dean Junior College in Franklin. They were there celebrating um, the party, having a good time. Uh, and as far as I know, what we were told was Teresa got drunk she was she was intoxicated um had an argument with her boyfriend and there were some different theories as to why she had an argument but the long and short of it was is that she left that establishment and then tried to make her way home upon leaving there um we were told that she was picked up by four men she was a hitchhiker not sure if she was hitchhiking at that point in time or if those guys saw her intoxicated and got her into the car we weren't sure. Nobody saw her getting into the car. She was brought to an apartment in Franklin, um, supposedly for another party. Um, and there, from between, I think it was between 11 o'clock to 4 or 5 a.m., um, nobody knows exactly what happened in that apartment, but we were actually told by the Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts State Police detectives that at one point, Teresa was held down and sexually assaulted by at least three men. On the last one, quote-unquote, did not finish. Um, somehow she became more aware of her circumstances, was able to make it out of the apartment, 
um, to make her way home. Um, she was seen leaning up against a guardrail, I guess, and was picked up by a dairy farm, um, a dairy truck driver, uh, Gorelick Farms truck driver, and was dropped off right at Gorelick Farms, which was along the route to, for her to get home. Another driver coming out to start his routes are on the side of the, you know, the, the entrance, um, let her get into the truck. And he described her as being um, out of sorts. Um, and supposedly she said to him through different um, reports, she had been sexually assaulted at the apartment. She was then dropped off by him at the Bellingham police station, um, right in the center of town, less than a mile from our home. And he had thought she would go into the, the, the police department and be taken care of. However, um, she continued to try to make her way home and got to as far as probably about, you know, less than maybe a half a mile from our home. And that's where she was last seen um, by a couple of um, people, commuters going to work. They had set up a roadblock and the last people that had seen her were some men that were traveling to work. Um, she didn't come home that night. My mother woke up the next day to go to work, and it was highly unusual for her not to call. It's you know, highly unusual for any of us not to call and say we wouldn't be home. But she didn't come home, and that raised panic. We contacted the, the Bellingham Police Department, but because she was 19, they wouldn't go out looking for her because she, she was old enough. Um, so my mother started calling friends, et cetera. People started to look for her. And then on December 8th, she, uh, a call went into the Bellingham Police Department to their private line. Uh, a man from Connecticut supposedly pulled over to urinate. Uh, and his car was overheating. He saw the body in the gully and called, I guess, when he got home to Connecticut. He said his name was John Burlington. Um, and he... Didn't go, but you know, it was just unusual that he would call a private line for the Bellingham Police Department if he was from Connecticut. Uh, soon after, as the call was going into the police station, a local kid, a kid at the time, went in and asked if that was Teresa Cooley's body found on the side of 495. From that point on, he became the number one suspect because how would he know that there was a body there? And it turned out that he was the son of a prominent Bellingham businessman. Um, and for the years following, this kid um, was heavily into drugs, heavily into alcohol. There were times that he almost seemed to want to tell what he knew, um, but never did. The, the conversations were either because he was either inebriated or either stopped by the Bellingham Police Department, or it wasn't pursued. The state did actively try to question him. They would, they would, he eventually moved to Florida. They went down to Florida to question him, um, but they never got the information that they needed. So for years, 38, um, it lingered, it passed, the family would inquire, but we would get no, no information, nothing new. And then I started about going on almost three years now um, and making my own inquiries, you know, as to what, what was going on with the case. And, um, I found out a lot of things on my own. I found out that the, one of the Bellingham police detectives at the time um, in 1978, probably dating the kid's mother that went into the police station. Um, they eventually married in 1980. And like there were just a lot of different things within the town that we had never heard. 
Um, the disappointment came when we found out in 2007 that the state actually found some, you know, um, semen on a pair of jeans that were um, left with, with Teresa. And no, they didn't tell us, you know, that they had found anything. Um, because originally the vaginal swabs they lost. And that was a disappointment because they've never been able to tell us exactly how they were lost. They said that they were lost in a fire. But there's been no documentation of any fire in any state crime labs in the state. So there were just a lot of different things going on with the case that led us to wonder what is really going on and why aren't we getting the truth. The uh, the semen that was found on the genes, now were were they your sister's genes or from well, my Well, one of my sisters, they, my, one of my sisters thought she was told that they were male genes. They never, they never described the genes to us, whether that they were male or female, but Teresa did have a habit of wearing my brother's genes. Um, and the, the sample that they found on those genes and why they couldn't test it with current modern forensic you know, science is, is that they said it was degraded, it was too small of a sample, they didn't want to take a chance in testing it back then because then it would be gone is what they told us. They are going to test it, they told us the end of March. But with that, they said it will take six to eight months to get results, if any. So they so, they feel okay. now that there's been enough advancement in the technology that it is safe for them to they're do at least gonna, Right. They're at least going to try. They're going to try to test that sample. Um, they're not guaranteeing anything, <clears throat> but they're going to try to test the sample. Whether or not that will yield anything useful is anybody's guess. Is the, uh, the genes were actually found with the body, though? I mean, they were part of the crime scene? They were found with the body. Um, and, and interestingly enough, um, pretty much, you know, they found a couple of items. I'm not sure, they, I'm not sure if they ever relocated a pair of shoes. Um, there was, she was wearing uh, a pair of shoes and then she was wearing, a, a, she was wearing one shoe from, you know, her own and then one shoe from one of the, the um, assailants in the apartment. Um, I'm not sure if they ever found those. I know they had them at one point. They showed them to my, my family and I at one point. Um, but the jeans were there. As to the rest of her clothing, I'm not sure. I think they said that they did recover a jacket. And when I asked about um, the MVAC testing on the jeans, they said too many people have touched those jeans, um, meaning state police or whoever has touched the jeans. They couldn't find, you know, I guess initially in, when, in 2007, one of the state um, lab, I don't know, she's a chemist, I believe, actually went looking for Teresa's evidence and just happened to find it because she went to go look for it, um, which is a little concerning as a family member to know that her, her, the evidence from her crime scene has been sitting around in a lab somewhere and, and people didn't find it until somebody actually took the initiative to go get it. Um, and now I'm wondering so about Jerry, the vaginal swabs. <laughs> do you feel like in all of these years, do you feel like her, your sister's case was even being worked with were there different detectives over that many oh, several, uh, years? Several, and several. were they in touch with you to let you know what was going on at all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, my sister Linda did a lot of, in the beginning, she was, Linda at the time was quite young. 
Um, my mother kind of couldn't handle the situation, but Linda tried to take control. And pretty much each time she she inquired, uh, asked questions, she actually was belittled. She felt, and she even currently is still suffering from that that feeling of she was inadequate back then and trying to make sure that they stayed on Teresa's, this case. I have to say in the beginning, the, 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 the detectives in the beginning, there was a James Redfern, I guess he put a lot of effort into the case. But as the case went on, the years went on, the case, it just got passed on to other detectives. And they have a huge caseload. And I really do feel that things weren't followed up on. It was quite disappointing that rape charges were never filed um, because what they've told us is that they, they know something went on in that apartment. They know Teresa probably it wasn't consensual, but because now the victim is dead, there was nothing they could do about it. Which, you know, it's hard to know that there's a rapist out there living now in Kentucky, you know, and, and you can't do anything about him. Uh the the genes I hate to harp on them but no that's fine it seems they they could have been uh, you know potentially uh, uh, produce some better preserved evidence <laughs> yeah and they they cited apparently to you that too many people to touch them including Correct. The state police uh, I, I I think it's uh, I'm going to credit the uh, the state police as being uh, a competent law enforcement agency. Uh, I, I never dealt with them, I, but I'm just assuming. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to believe that at a crime scene, the the troopers or the, the investigators wouldn't have known better than to be pawing around in evidence that could contaminate it and make it useless. I, it's it's it, that that's for me. That's a stickler. I don't I don't I don't quite get how that could happen or why why it would happen. Um, well, I have to tell you though, back in 1978, this was now back in 1978. You know, in the the early years of this crime, my mother was told there was, there's going to be very little we can do because too many people are allowed onto the crime scene, meaning. Uh, police officers, paramedics, or whoever, or, you know, EMTs, whatever they had back then, too many people trampled the crime scene at the time. And so even from the beginning, they were telling us not much is going to be able to be done with this case because there were too many too many people on the crime scene. It started from the beginning, you know, and then to, and then what, what, I, what a police officer told me that actually worked on the case, he was from Bellingham, he said that the, her... Initially, the evidence was brought to the Bellingham Police Station. The state police took possession of it, and it went to 1010 Commonwealth Avenue. And he described 1010 Commonwealth Avenue as absolute mayhem, that you would go in there and there'd be guns lying around, you know, all different things, you know. I should certainly hope that nowadays the state is a little bit more proactive about keeping this evidence secure. Uh, But back then, no. Back then, there, there wasn't. The, the tight controls that they probably have now. Yeah, you had, you know, the, the, those issues, the issues with the blue jeans, and you said some right. swabs disappeared uh, from a fire that there's no record of. And right. It, it's, uh, it, it's 
weird for me as an outsider listening to this, trying to trying to imagine uh, how all this kind of stuff could happen with a professional uh, law enforcement agency. And then uh, those swabs could be key right now. Those oh, absolutely. Could be key. <laughs> absolutely, and and I know uh, Delilah. And I have, have interviewed a couple of uh, DNA labs, and I think Delilah will agree with me that the stuff they can do today with relatively minute samples is truly amazing, uh, isn't it, Dee? It is, and I, I would I would venture to say that even though it was handled by several people, they, the possibility that they could eliminate, um, you know, those people depending on, on what their findings are, and that would, um, again, help your case and help at least narrow right. things down DNA-wise. After all these years, why not try? Why not just, you know, try it? You, you know, and if, okay, if it, you, but what are they afraid of? What what are they afraid? Who are they afraid they're going to find on those genes? You know, that's, right. that's the question. Well, Jerry, why um, do you feel like, why do you feel like, there really hasn't been much movement or do you feel like there's a cover-up or or why are they not willing to go all the way and pull out all the stops to solve this crime? Well, right from the beginning, um, and even now, you know, as I've been looking into this more, I, I think it's because the main suspect may have been protected by the town I live in. Um, when I went to go get Teresa's death certificate, uh, there was a person at the, the clerk's office that said to me, you know, when she first moved to Bellingham, she was a select person or she was on, on that board. And she asked, why hasn't anything been done about this case? And she was told, well, the powers that be don't want it solved. So from the beginning. Um, and then I did have contact with a, a local police officer who has since been removed from the police department for another reason. But he sent me text messages telling me my town is corrupt, that this has been a cover-up from the beginning. Um, and whether or not he's just a disgruntled employee, I'm not sure. But there's a lot of been a lot of finger-pointing at the town itself and that the town, you know, back then, the powers that be, that didn't want this case to go any further. Um, a lot in town are pointing their fingers at that one individual, and a lot in town are, are pretty much telling my family that this was a cover-up from the beginning. Whether or not that has been investigated by the state is anybody's guess. And where do you go with that? You know, um, well, that was my next it, question. It, where do you go with all of that? <laughs> where do you go with that? If I have the, if I have the, you know, the state police telling me I should, you know, trust that it's not a cover-up because you know things are missing from my sister's case file. Whether that's just the fact that, you know, oh, well, sloppy, again, sloppy police work. There's very little detail, I guess, in a lot of the notes from Bellingham back then in the 70s. Um, very little detail about her case and, um, you know, is what we were told. So, But I would love to have a comparison of other cases from back then and see what detail they have as opposed to what my sister has. Why is there a lack of detail? And what we were told was that police work is... Um, a lot more sophisticated now um, than it was back then. But I would really love to see a comparison of case files, perhaps from other murders in other towns, and try to really determine if the lack of detail was purposeful or it's just that Bellingham police back then were not very 
good at their jobs. What What do you think the chances are of being able to, uh, at, at some point, get get some comparisons? I mean, you think you think that's a well, just, probably slim to none. But yeah, you know, it would just be it would be interesting. It w- it really would be interesting. Have uh, Have you ever tried or thought about maybe getting? Oh, uh, one of the crime uh, TV shows, you know, true crime stuff. Uh, Discovery. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. We yeah, we have. We've I've written um, I've written to all kinds of shows. Twenty twenty, uh, there was there was um, Cold Justice that actually at one point I was actually told by that same Bellingham police officer that was since removed from the the department that Cold Justice is very interested in presenting and, and working on Teresa's case and looking at it. However, that would take the police, you know, and, you know, the town to approve it. I don't know. I think that guy was just giving me, you know, um, the runaround with, with that. I don't really think he said the producer would be contacting me. There was, there were just so many, you know, different lies. But in order for these, these shows to really look at the case, the case file has to be turned over. So they need something to go on. Um, and the town and the state will not do that. They will not let anybody else look at their record because they're still telling us this is an open murder investigation, which well, is very frustrating because of the, you know, I'm not expecting anybody to be prosecuted for this murder. I just want the truth. We want the truth of what happened with the investigation and with what happened to her. You know, I uh, I, I will be gladly uh, admit that there are many, 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 many situations in which the police are doing the right thing by not divulging too much information. Right. You know, I, under, I understand that. They're trying to protect the integrity of the case. They don't want to tip the suspect off of certain things. I, I understand all that. But when you get these cases that are 20, 30, and in your case, uh, your sister's case, almost 40, 40 years old. Yeah. There seems to come a point where that DLO, we, we can't tell you anything, this is an open case, kind of falls flat for me. Uh, Correct. I, and uh, what do you think, Dee, do you, you know, about cases like Teresa's case, 38 years old, apparently nothing happening with it. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it just, you know, it's it's a, I think in some cases, it's a convenient excuse not to let other people look at their files. Right, and I, I can also tell you most of the television shows, at least the ones that I've dealt with, they really, they're kind of um, hesitant to get involved that way in a case that hasn't been, hasn't come to trial or hasn't um, had a conviction or something along those lines. So, you would think, but after all of these years, you would think there would be something somewhere. What, if it, what does anybody have to lose? And I'm assuming that probably right. a lot of the players in this are, are dead after all this there time. Are, the, the main suspect is dead. Um, there there are a lot of the, the players are dead, uh, according. But there are a couple, I, you know, um, and even as a, when in my own kind of little, like looking into this, a guy came forward, you know, through my contacting him with a whole other list of people that could have been involved in this murder. 
and um, I guess he went to the police in 2012, made a statement, and as far as my family knows, we, we were never told about that person coming forward, and we were never told that any of those people were investigated back then. Uh, and current follow-ups, as far as I know, they maybe have requested some people, but they won't tell us who. So that's a little bit frustrating as well. Not being kept in the loop of kind of knowing where the case is going. Um, because what what seemed to happen is I, I, I gained some momentum, and now I'm sitting back waiting for them to test this sample at the end of the month, which they were supposed to test in December, um, and now just waiting, playing the waiting game. But when you play the waiting game, you tend to have to go away for a little bit, uh, and you don't keep the case in the spotlight, and that, that can be an issue with these older cases. And you said they told you that after they uh, they do the test to test the sample, it's going to be another six to eight months to get results. Correct. That's what my sister uh, my sister Diane was told that um, because I, I won't talk to the district attorney's office anymore. I was threatened um, that they were looking for something to charge me with because what I did do in my frustration when I got a different name of somebody that might have been involved in my sister's murder, I called them contacted the person, asked them what they knew. Um, and that was considered because I called or texted a few times and these people texted me back. All they had to say is she's harassing me. And the state turned around and said they were looking for something to charge me with because I was harassing these people. Um, I'm sorry, but I want answers. I'm a sister that wants answers. And if the state can't give them to me, I want these people to know I've heard their name. And that at least we know, at least the, the family knows, and at least they know we know who they are. Yes. So um, they, <laughs> I, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is what type of response you've uh, received from the authorities there, and, and you answer. <laughs> I guess you answer <laughs> that they're not they're not real pleased with you apparently. They're not pleased with me. They're not pleased with me. But you know what? I don't know if people realize that when you're when you're 17 years old and your 19-year-old sister gets murdered, and you find out that prior to her being murdered, four men four men raped her. Um, and then, you you know, probably three out of the four are dead. But when you find out there's just that one more person, and he won't tell you what happened that night, um, and he won't give over a DNA sample from that night, you know, from, you know, for comparison, um, it bothers you. It, it it eats at you, and and then I'm being told do not contact that individual because you're harassing him, and and all and I just want the truth, and I want to hear from his mouth. Um, it's it's frustrating um, not to be able to do that, and then it's doubly frustrating not for the state not to be, you know, contacting us. We always have to try to call them to get the information, or contact them to find out what's going on. Um, and it, it shouldn't have to be that way. It should be where they're supposedly actively looking at this case. Again, I, I would like to have some updates here and there, and, and that's not coming. Karen, is there any chance a politician would be able to help maybe get out of the uh, the, the system, the you know, the uh, criminal justice system, and, and get into the political arena and try to get... Uh, I, I tried that route. I, I did try that route. I actually went to MOBA which um, some advocates group, um, and more or less they can't, can't help. Um, I did go to my local state representative, um, 
there's really not much there either. What it would need, though, I think it would need almost like a federal legislation on these older cases because there are a lot of them, a lot of people in our same situation, so that the states have to somehow turn over the case file to a private investigator after after a certain number of years. Because like you said, these cases aren't going anywhere. Um, I don't think they'll get convictions on Teresa's case anyway. And I wish there was some sort of legislation. It's, uh, How many kill cases are there in your, in your town? Or maybe I, in even my in town, your county? There's only my sisters. In my sisters, there's only my sisters. Um, in my county, I couldn't even tell you. Um, but just in different people that I, I speak with, you know, they're, um, whose family members have been murdered. Um, there's a couple of people that I that I talk to. They're in the same situation where their cases are, are 30-something years old, and they're, they're in the same situation. The cases really aren't getting more, and they just sit. But even for myself, go ahead. I was just wondering, uh, you know, your relationship with the authorities right now isn't that great, but maybe if your sister or somebody uh, can deal with them, I'd be curious as to how they classify the case at this point. Now, obviously, it's an open case. They can't shut down an unsolved homicide, an unsolved murder. Uh, So it's going to stay as open. But some departments also have open, active, or open, inactive. In other words, the inactive, the case can't be closed because there hasn't been a, a, a resolution to it. On the other hand, nobody's looking at it. Uh, right. It's inactive sitting on the shelf somewhere or in a file cabinet or whatever. Um, the active would, of course, mean that they're pursuing leads or trying to develop leads or something. Right. Um, right. And other other agencies, I understand, don't have either. They just say it's an open case and there's, there's no further classification. I was just wondering if somebody, uh, you know, in your family that has uh, – um, and communication with the uh, with the police department to find out just what the status of the case is, what what they consider it to be, like open, right. inactive, or open active, or maybe they don't use that. Maybe maybe they just say, well, it's open and it's all all there is. Well, to here it. here and in, in, I don't know if it's everywhere, but here for, for Teresa's case anyway, um, I have been in touch with the current. Um, Bellingham police detectives that currently have the case. There are a couple of younger guys. They seem very enthusiastic. They seem to want to help. I have to say, you know, it, it, that was a, a bit of a, a nice turnaround in a way, but their hands are tied as well. Um, because you ask them what's going on. Well, I don't know. This, you know, the DA hasn't gotten back to us. Um, oh, the DA was supposed to update us on such and so. They haven't done that. And whether they're just telling me that because they don't really want to share the information or they can't share the information, or they can kind of update me, um, or if the DA, in fact, is not, not in touch with them. Um, it, it's, hard, hard to, it's hard to kind of get the information because when you go to the local police, it, it's pretty much out of their hands, um, and it's, it's all on the DA's shoulders right now. Um, well, what, what does the DA have to decide at this point? Where, what, what decisions... Does the DA uh, have to make right now in order for the police to move forward? 
I'm see. I would have I've assumed. Um, I would have assumed that they the local police might have been following up on some of the names I've given them. Uh, and what what seems to be happening is if if I give them a name or I give them some information, they'll pass it on to the DA. Is what I'm I'm being told. But yet I don't know what the DA is now doing with any of that information. The DA reassures me that when they get valid information, they do follow up. But then they don't give us the results of that follow-up, which I can understand. They're not going to tell us the ins and outs and the details, but it would be nice to just be reassured that, yep, we followed up with that individual, we questioned them. But Uh, we're not even getting that. Let me tell you my experience. Uh, I've never worked in Massachusetts. I have no clue, you know, nothing uh, from personal experience there. But um, I've never seen a case where the DA wants to know every single detail of your investigation. In other words, where the DA basically takes over and manages the investigation in lieu of the police department. I mean, if you develop a lead as a cop, you should pursue that lead. Now, maybe if you need a search warrant or an arrest warrant or whatever, yeah, you got to go to the DA and you got to say, hey, uh, you know, what's chances? Here's what I got on this guy and what's chances of doing a search. But to develop a name and then immediately have to turn that over to the DA to see what he wants to do, I've never heard of such a thing. Uh well, and, and not being not being with a law enforcement background as a family, we don't know these things, right? Yeah, well, we, we not, you know, maybe, maybe they got different, maybe they got different laws in Massachusetts. They certainly could have. I'm just saying, it's been my experience yeah. that the DA does not micromanage. In other words, the police chief would tend to take umbrage. I would think if his detectives or his officers are going out developing information. And uh, they bypass him and send it to the DA for a decision right. on what, what they should do next. I I can't believe that would go over very well. But uh, I have to tell you, this has been the story from the beginning. Anytime I, my family would contact the Bellingham police, oh, well, you'd, you'd have to contact the state, you'd have to contact the DA. Um, it, it was... So it seems like there was a little something that went on between the between the town of Bellingham and the DA at one point with this case as is what I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, there are certainly questions, and there there might be, um, you know, the question I just raised about going to the DA with a, every time you develop a name. Um, uh, there might be some some protocol or some regulation they have in Bellingham that right. I've never heard of before. It's entirely possible. Right. But at least you should be entitled to that explanation. Somebody should right. say, well, here, here's why the DA is involved, or, you know, why we got to wait for the DA. He's going to tell us whether or not we can interview this guy. Well, right. cops interview people all the time without necessarily going to the district attorney's office to see if it's okay. So right. that, that's what kind of has me uh, a little bit flummoxed with this, that, that, that it's contrary to to anything I've ever heard of before. It might be totally. Well, and I would even, I would even think now, though, even at this this point in time, now these might have been names that they heard back in 1978. It might be names they heard in the 1990s, but the names are resurfacing again. Um, mm-hmm. There was uh, Kenneth Maines, who is down in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's a detective that works on cold cases. I had him look at Teresa's case, and he um, is very interested. 
but he needed as well. He he said, these are my opinions, but I would really, I could serve you better if I could see the case file. And he gave me the name of the one, one or two individuals that he would actually have them go back and question. Because who knows if after this point, at this point in time, if this individual after all these years might finally give the truth. Um, and they, they haven't told me if they've re-interviewed, re-interviewed that individual. Um, so I don't know. I think at this point in time, you go back to these people. You go back to the boyfriend. You go back to the, the people that made the statements and re-question them. Time makes people maybe feel a little bit more guilty. I don't know. What What is the FBI's involvement in, in this case? Do you know? The only thing I heard was that the FBI at one point did look at her case because her body was found on a highway, on, on an interstate. Um, uh-huh. I did actually contact the Boston FBI again, um, asked them about the case. I, I filled out a Freedom of Information Act just to try to get what they had, and the response I got was because this was an ongoing open murder investigation. They couldn't share any of their information with me. Is, is FBI it. still involved with this or or no? Do you know? No, not as far as I know, not. They're, they're not. Would they be but I think willing to get she, back involved with this? I didn't ask. Well, the only time I kind of inquired was when I, call, I did call the, the Boston office. Um, and I think back then they did just refer me back to the district attorney's office. I've written a letter to the attorney general's office. You know, because at right. the time I wanted a fresh set of eyes. Um, the DA's office has assured me that they, they've taken the case from the beginning to the end and re-looked at everything. However, I was told by one of the state police detectives that there were, sorry, but there were some items lost from her file when the files, when they moved from um, one building to another. And as a family, to hear that things are being lost from the case files in a a move, you know, and it is an old case. And so people pull these, the case files out and a piece gets lost here, a piece gets lost there. But how many of those pieces could have been key? in solving this crime. Well, the reason that I ask this is um, there's a, a website called murderdata.org. And mm-hmm. I, I was just at a conference with the with the person who heads this all up, Thomas Hargrove. And I just looked up your sister's case and the information, they gather information from several sources and, and not always is information reported to FBI. But on your sister's uh-huh. case, the information that they have on their site is the source of that information is the FBI. So uh-huh. okay. I'm I'm just assuming here that FBI would still have this listed as an open case and perhaps um you know, perhaps they're still willing to work it. I, I right. don't know. But I, I I'm just guessing that might be an avenue to pursue for you. I would actually love like them to actually come in and look at the case because I think that might move it forward a, a bit more to have that that other set of eyes come back at the case and look at it again. I think at the time there were a lot of murders along Route 95, 495. There were a couple, you know, a couple of years later. So I, I, we were told at the time that because she was found along a state highway, that's why the the, um, the FBI got involved. Um, there's been a lot of questions about, like, drug running, you know, at the time, you know, what the people she was involved with. Um, her boyfriend was a Quaalude dealer. Uh, 
that I don't I don't know if she knew the full extent of who he was. She she had only been dating him a short time, so who knows? Um, you know, who knows? There was there's questions about back then that the police were were uh, in Franklin were involved in that little drug trade going on. I've heard a lot of different things, a lot of different um, stories about why Teresa got murdered. Um, and now we just want to know the truth. Has well, anyone... Sure. Go ahead, Denny. I was just going to say you're certainly entitled to the truth. It's, uh... Right. Right. So it, it, I, I guess the, the question would beg is, is why then were the FBI looking at her case? You know, what, what was their interest in it? Well, it certainly you know, in a, wouldn't, in a way. wouldn't hurt to inquire as to what the status is with, with someone from FBI, you know, right. a local a local FBI right. agent. Um, right. And perhaps they would be interested in some of the other information that you've been able to, to recently dig up. I mean, right. if it's pertinent to the case and it's a possibility that it could help solve the case or other things that they need to look into, they may be interested right. in looking at what you have. Right. Okay. That's a thought. And uh, you you mentioned that you had, uh, you know, been in touch about getting a TV, uh, one of the TV programs to look at the case. How about uh, just a local journalist, like an investigative reporter with a local newspaper or any, anything there, uh, do you think? I do have... Um if she's still on board, I haven't really talked to her in a few in a few months. But um, I do have a um, a local reporter. Um, her name is Louisa Moeller. She's from WBZ in Boston, um, and I'm hoping that she will continue to make inquiries. Um, my other avenue that I'm actively pursuing is I'm going to exhume my sister. Um, I've been in touch with the Weck Institute. And because at the time um, of her autopsy, I was told that they never took fingernail scrapings. Um, and I am very hopeful that underneath her nails there might be something. And, you know, it might just point to the guys in the apartment, but who knows what else might be with her body. And that's my my hope. And I'm I'm really aiming for the end of May to, to start that process. Yeah, the... Uh... It's amazing because um, I'm sure you'll agree with me, and the listeners, I think, can tell from our conversation how frustrating it is uh, trying to get information and when the authorities, you know, are telling you whether it's uh, legit or not, that they can't tell you anything for whatever reason, um, it's a lot of people who go through these things tend to get beaten down. You know, they they wait it for a while, but eventually they just get beaten down and they can't do it anymore. Right. Um, I've been at this. It's probably going on about three years. And, um, but you know what? I'm I'm not going to back down. I've, I've backed down a little bit from my page, so to speak. um, But I've still been, I've still been actively trying to ask people questions. Um, and, I, and I'm keeping a little bit of a lower profile because I am putting some faith in the Massachusetts State Police and the, D, the Norfolk County DA's office that they are now trying to do the right thing. And I guess we'll know at the end of March. Um, and my my biggest hope would be 
and I think they owe it to us as a family because of those lost vaginal swabs, would be they would decide that they were going to go ahead and pull Teresa's body up and take what they need from her body to, yes. to really let my family know that they've done everything they could. And that's what I've been asking them from the beginning. Could you at least, this is the last thing we would ask of you, just to, to, so we all know everything possible was done to try to solve this case. But if not, if they're not willing, I'll be, you know, the family will do this. Uh, Dee, I don't know how much uh, time we have left, but I wanted to ask one question uh, before we run out of time. So would you let me know? Yeah, we we have a few minutes left, Denny, and then we need to wrap it up. Okay. Go well, ahead maybe and ask I'm... your question. Yeah, you'll be fine. Okay. Uh, Jerry, what, you know, you've been doing a lot of your own inquiry. Of course, you've seen other articles, uh, newspaper articles, and what have you about the case. Do you have a theory yourself? Do you do you think that you know what happened to your sister that night? Um, I really, in my gut, I don't feel it was the, the kid that went in, or the, the man that went into the police station. I think that he just became the, the scapegoat because Maybe he he was in contact with the, you know, whoever, his mother, whoever. Um, I think he just became somebody that they could go after. But then I think at the time, the town started to protect him because of who he was, who he was related to. The person that gave me the names of the, the other guys that I, I am hoping that the police will pursue, um, I think they're stronger suspects. And I think they should be explored a little bit better. Um, than what than, than what's currently happening, to the best of my knowledge. Um, I think I, you know, I, you I would put my money on one of those individuals. So you, if not a specific person, you think uh, that there is a, a group or that one one of a group of people would be the likely murderer? Yes, I think there are two stronger suspects they could look at. That are still alive. Okay, um, well, I wanted to know. I was just, I was curious. Yeah. If that I think, at least if if I were in your shoes, I believe would make me even more frustrated if I've got, you know, two or three or whatever names, and uh, you're not. But the sure interesting thing, interestingly you. enough, though, the two stronger individuals had supposedly no contact with my sister, and that is why I, I want to pursue getting evidence hopefully from her body because then if they're on her body, you know, their DNA is found with her body, there you go. Yes. And that would that would that would hopefully put it to rest. Well between your plan for the exhumation and the uh hopefully they'll get that uh, semen tested and uh that something between them or maybe even jointly will break to wrap this up. Right. Right. Well, we certainly we certainly hold out hope for you and your family that um, your answers will come. And right. after all of these years, you certainly deserve some some kind of an answer. And um, and to know that everything's been done in this case. So, right. Denny, do you want to um, wrap it up? Yes, um, we do have to go. I guess we're out of pretty yes, much out of time. Um, right, thank you to both of you. 
Yes, Jerry. Thanks so much for being on. And listen, please, I know you got these things coming up here over the next uh, few weeks and months. Would you keep in touch and let us know if anything changes? Oh, most certainly. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, thank you very, very much for being okay. with us. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. And to our listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. And until next time, stay safe. Thank you. Take care. are now at Bonefish Grill. The George's Bank off the coast of New England is known for its amazing sea scallops, and Bonefish prepares them just right. Grilled to perfection over a wood fire and served atop creamy Parmesan risotto. And start the night off with our new handcrafted happy hour every day from 4 to 6.30. Enjoy signature cocktails like our tropical tiki martini for just $5, and new bar bites like ahi tuna poke are just $6. So come in tonight and discover what's new at Bonefish Grill. George's Bank Scallops are now at Bonefish Grill. The George's Bank off the coast of New England is known for its amazing sea scallops, and Bonefish prepares them just right. Grilled to perfection over a wood fire and served atop creamy Parmesan risotto. And start the night off with our new handcrafted happy hour every day from 4 to 6.30. Enjoy signature cocktails like our tropical tiki martini for just $5, and new bar bites like ahi tuna poke are just $6. So come in tonight and discover what's new at Bonefish Grill.